This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelor. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. Okay, let's rock and roll. Let's do this. I mean, this is going to be a fun episode. I'm not going to lie. One of my very best friends is here and she sent me a voice note. Here's the voice note. I should be working, but instead I'm just sitting here thinking about my friend's businesses and other fun things. (laughs) Not being productive at all. I was thinking that I should interview you for your podcast or someone. It doesn't have to be me. It could be anyone. And it's just about whoever, me or someone interviewing you because I actually have so many questions for you. What is coaching? What do you do in it? What do you learn? What is intuitive eating and how do I do it? Like, what are you struggling with? You know, what do you feel really great about lately? Like, what do you feel like you're just winning at? Like, what does a typical day look like? You know, how do you balance all of your coaching clients with mom life? Just a thought. You can take it or leave it, okay? You can tell me it's a shitty idea. You can tell me you love it, but you want Gwyneth Paltrow to interview you. I don't care. Regardless of who the interviewer is, I just, I want to know more. And I'm going to send questions. (laughs) Love you. Of course, I was like, yes, let's do this. And then I immediately called her and was like, wait, I talk to you almost every day. I just spent a week with you in Mexico. How the hell do you have all these questions for me? Like, why aren't you just asking me these things when you see me? To which you responded, we don't have enough time to even skim the surface, even when we spend a week together. Like, There's just so much going on in life. And then also sometimes you don't get into these like big, deeper topics. We could talk forever and ever and ever and ever. Anyways, Jillian is a mom. She's a serial entrepreneur. I think you've had four businesses since we first met. Gold Lemon Creative. Oh, before that, I had Operation Style. Operation Style. Which is personal styling and closet detoxes. Then Gold Lemon Creative, which was a creative agency. You did social media. This was just when social media was getting started. Instagram had just started. Just like started. we were convincing businesses to get an Instagram account. And you did convince businesses. Did. And then you got hitched and married Craig mm-hmm. and Craig was super passionate about cycling. And there weren't a lot of spin studios yet in Vancouver, if any, there was one and you opened Eastwood, mm-hmm. which I'm sure many of you have heard of or seen. I used to ride there all the time. It was incredible. I mean, you're so talented at creating a brand and making a space feel really warm and welcoming and cool, like cool AF. And so this place just exploded. You ended up opening two locations. There were a lot of highs and lows during that time. I want to have you on the podcast. However, I know you've been through some really, really hard shit. And obviously on this show, like we talk about that stuff. And so I've been patiently waiting for you to get to a point where you were ready to talk about it. So that all happened around that time. Babies, broken necks, you lost your dad, the business highs and lows that every business has. And then since then, while you had the studio, you and Craig started Legends Hall Ace Supply, Bobby Cool. I mean, it's just nuts. I've got goosebumps right now. I'm so tired thinking about it. It's so much. It's just so much. We definitely have not been in like a relaxation season of our life no. for the past 10 years. No, you haven't. But it's all good. We love it. You do. You create it for yourself. Yeah. You create the shit storm that is also such a beautiful life. And I'm so lucky because I get to see that. Now, before we dive in, I do want to go back to the very beginning. And I was thinking about one of my first memories with you. 
it was working at Cactus Club where you and I were both, I mean, you might have been like 10 years old when you started working there. I was in my early 20s. I was running my Pilates studio at the time. And I was always this straight A student, like listen to the teachers, try to do my best wherever I am. I'm not working at Cactus that often. I think like one or two days a week. Jill comes in. She is this like wild party animal. I mean, who knows if she's gone to sleep the night before. She was probably out at the club. You were working at Cactus and the clothing store. I think just Cactus at this point, but like I showed up multiple times without my black attire. Oh yeah. And the manager was like, what do you mean you're here without your work gear? I'm like, I just forgot. (laughs) (laughs) And so I remember working up in the restaurant was two levels and we were in the upstairs area working together, just the two of us. And we had a station where you would ring in the food and it also had cutlery and napkins. And, you know, we were standing there talking about this or that. You told me later that you thought I was pretty like straight, maybe a bit boring almost. Well, I think they put us together so that you could keep me on the straight and narrow. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Like I was put upstairs where no one could see me. (laughs) They were like, we have to put someone really strong and like that follows the rules and like knows what she's doing with Jill to like keep her on the straight and narrow. I mean... Like, but this I was destiny. You infiltrated. So <laughs> then all of a sudden she opens the drawer where all the napkins and clean cutlery is. And inside she has chicken fingers and fries and a pop, like sitting in the drawer. My jaw just opened like, A, you're not allowed eating when you're out working on the shift. B, her food is in the drawer, which has all the clean cutlery and everything. I'm like, this chick is going to get both of us fired. And I feel like that was the perfect analogy for our relationship and also how you show up in our friend group. Like you are always just pushing all of us to live harder, to have more fun, to be our best selves. I don't know how chicken fingers and fries in the drawers equates to being your best self, but like rules are meant to be broken. Yes. Break the rules. Break the rules. You were a rule breaker from the start. And I was just like such a square. And I feel like you have really opened the door for so much growth for me. And I just absolutely adore adore you. And I'm so, so excited to be sitting here with you today. I feel so lucky to have you here. Love you. My God. (laughs) (laughs) The most hilarious but nicest story. I I think it was also, I've always been like, live your life, girl. Live your life. Live your life. Yeah. That Kardashian Kardashian. thing has been your tagline. I'm always forever. live your life. If you want chicken strips, you should eat the damn chicken strips. I mean, absolutely. (laughs) I just was, I was just like, hold on. Like she is literally breaking every rule. And then you did get fired shortly after. Let's not glaze over the fact. I did get fired. There was an ending to this journey at the restaurant. Thank goodness. But it was a great experience. And like, I would have fired me too. Like I still see our managers and we laugh about it. It was a really good, like learning and growing experience. It wasn't a bad ending. They were just like, listen, this is not your path. (laughs) No, they were like, come in for dinner all the time. We want to see you here. We love you, Jill. But like, you are not meant to be here. Like, you guys are right. You're right. Set me free, honey. Set me free, guys. (laughs) Off I go. Yeah. And now here we are today. I think most of our friends are, I mean, obviously we have friends outside of that group, but we have a really strong core group of friends that that friendship developed when we were in our early 20s. And we've seen each other through so many highs and lows and really fun periods in our life and times when you're like drunk on the dance floor, but then also really difficult times where you're floored and you're not sure how you're going to get up. And having one another and having our group of girlfriends has, we always say it, like saved us many, many times. Like, I honestly don't know where I would be. No. I don't know where I would be. Sometimes we talk about pooling our money that like not very many of us actually have and (laughs) buying a commune Yeah, and the nine of us going to live in the commune together. Just us. Just us. And our kids. kids. Yeah. And the husbands can have visitation rights on certain days because we still love them. It's just like we need each other. Just on weekends, we can see them. (laughs) We could be onto something. (laughs) It's our dream. (laughs) We love our husbands, but we love love each other more. (laughs) Decorating the homes with no opposition in place. 
building our businesses, watching shows together at the night. The world would be a better place. Yeah. I mean, this is it. Okay. Should we dive in? You have a note that you wrote for me with uh, like so many questions. I didn't get a chance to read through it, but to be honest, I like these conversations to be more unscripted anyways. So yeah, I have so many questions. And I think the one thing that came up for me was I'm like, when we're together, we spend a lot of time together, but we're kind of talking about like, how are we doing? We're talking about feelings. We're talking about kids. We're talking about big picture stuff, trips coming up. We're just laughing. We're not even talking about anything. (laughs) Yeah. And then sometimes it feels almost kind of like non-important to get into like nitty gritty, minute details Mm -hmm. of work. We Mm kind of glaze over it. Yeah. And so there's things that come up. I'm always watching your stories and I'm like, oh, I wonder what that means. Or I wonder, like, let's talk about that. Erin, I think you should talk about this. So that's why this kind of came up. And I was like, yeah, I have so many questions all the time. I'm so glad that you're asking them because I feel like I'm sharing so many of the details. So the fact that my closest friend has questions means that there's actually a lot that I'm not clearly communicating. And so I'm just excited to have the opportunity to dive a little deeper. Okay, so let's start with this one. Because you just said like, you know, I feel like I'm sharing all the time and you are. And like, you know, it's different watching you share these really sometimes very intimate moments of your life. And, you know, we've said this before, our girlfriends, like just being in awe of you, that you have the courage and the bravery and the confidence to share sometimes very intimate things about your life, you know, and really put yourself out for display. And, and that opens up a lot of criticism from people. Mm. And while you receive so much love and support, you've also received some pretty aggressive criticism in the past, which if it was me, I would just close my account and call it a day. <laughs> I would like put it on private, you know, and move on. So I think my one question is like, I wrote down, you've been so candid sharing your life over social now for years. Through this time, you've received some incredibly mean, nasty messages that are shocking from women judging you, feeling you should have done something different. You should live your life different. You should have different friends, different trips. Um, You know, they're shocking. And it feels so saddening to me as your friend that you get these messages from women when you've dedicated your career essentially to lifting other women up Mm -hmm. and that when you show some of these pieces of your life, living your life, that that's the reaction sometimes. So I guess I wanted to open this up for you to talk about it, how it's made you feel and also how you deal with it and how you just let it go. I don't know if you do and move on and continue being you. It's a great question. And I think that there have been many layers in this process of learning to let it go and my reaction to it. First of all, I have to say that I feel incredibly lucky that 98% of the messages and comments that I receive are from our amazing community that's now being built over eight years that are so supportive and so understanding. And even if people have questions, I feel like what's really great about our community is that people will share their opinion and a dialogue will get started around it so that we're all learning. And that's always been my intention. That's why the Instagram handle is raw beauty talks, because I want to have conversation around some of these things. Now, when I started Raw, it was really about displaying images and stories of other women and other body types, and I wasn't really forward-facing at all. As the brand has changed, as I've grown, as I became more clear about wanting to be a coach and gathering my tools and working with people, it made sense for me to start showing up and to be more forward-facing. And the reality is that my body type being five foot 11 and in a thin frame is closer to the standard beauty that is laid out to us by media than what a lot of the population has. So when I went from showing curves and rolls and tons of cellulite and all of these like beautiful images of real women, and then I showed up, I think that it 
sparked a lot of feelings for people and frustration and anger. And to be honest, mostly what I see aren't comments that are mean, although I have had those. It's just that for the last year, especially since I've been showing up and our feed has really changed, it's that people just leave. And I have consistently lost followers week after week after week. I have not grown organically unless somebody like Caitlin shares what I'm doing and then I'll have a bump. But when I'm just sharing, I lose followers every single week. I gain some, but I'm losing more than I'm gaining. So it would be really easy to get down on myself like I'm doing something wrong or people don't like me or I'm not enough or whatever it is. And for whatever reason in doing the work and listening to this conversation with other women, I'm just really clear on the fact that we're not meant to be for everyone. I won't be the person to support a lot of women, but I will be the person to support many others. And those women are finding me. So what's interesting is that even though I'm consistently losing followers and our community is decreasing slightly, at this point, I have more coaching clients, more people signing up for the reset, more people listening to the podcast than ever before. So my people are finding me and that's all I can hope for. I don't need to be everything to everyone. Yeah. And you just mean like when you say like, I won't be there to support some women, it's like some women need other forms of support. Exactly. I would a hundred percent be there to support whoever needs support, but I will be triggering to others in the same way that someone is triggering to me on social media. It's not about me. It's about what they need. And so I just generally don't take it personally. That being said, I've had moments when people make the mean comments where I get lit up, where I get triggered and activated. And my initial response is to be defensive. Well, you know, why is she saying that? Or I'm not like that or whatever it is. When the emotion settles, when you've calmed down, when you have a chance to step back, you can see clearly that A, there's probably some lessons there. I remember one time we went on a girl's trip and I shared images and people were like, this is just so unrelatable and makes me feel bad about my life and all of this. I am and have always, before posting anything, tried to think of how will this make other people feel. And that must be heavy. Like it really takes the casual sense of Instagram away when you're having to think about that. And I think that's what's really important that people should understand is that like they're not thinking about that before they post. Most people are not, but you are. And I think people just having an understanding of, you know, like how much of your life is dedicated to really helping other women in their life, you know, and this heaviness of thinking about that before you post. I have all of that being said in my own personal work, come to the realization that what I put out there, as long as it's coming from a place of love and as long as it's coming from my true authentic self and like, it's not racist or it's not degrading to somebody, of course, or fueling hate that I can't please everyone with everything I say. So what was happening is by me putting this filter over, like I can't show my home because somebody might feel bad or I don't want to show my friends because when we did go on that initial trip, everyone was like, all of your friends have a specific body type and they're all so beautiful. And this just feels like, do what, do you only hang out with beautiful people? And so then I stopped sharing all of you. And what I realized is that I was now hiding parts of myself to not hurt others or to not receive judgment for others. And that was stalling me from putting anything out. So now I'm really, you know, trying to do a better job of showing it all and knowing what the intention is behind it. Of course, like I'm not a home decorator who's going to start showing every inch of our home. I mean, your home is very well decorated. I'm just, you are very talented. That's just not, that's not my purpose. That's not my why. And so letting that go a little bit and that's felt really freeing. It has felt good. Yeah. And then I guess with like the body image piece too, you know, I think from an outsider looking in, you know, to see you and you kind of touched on this, like you are it, (laughs) you are like, we're in Mexico and my view of you as your best friend is I'm like, Oh my God, you are a goddess in your pink swimsuit. I can't even handle it. You are so beautiful. You are what society deems as like the body type. And you know, I think for someone who doesn't know you, they see you that could spark, 
And this is very broad speaking, but for some people, this could spark something as like, and this is a two-part question. How can you talk about raw beauty when you look so beautiful and perfect? But what they don't know is the work mentally, spiritually, and physically that has gone on in front of the camera, but also behind the camera for you to get to a place of where you are today. And I feel like after knowing you for, you know, like almost 15 years, you've done so much work more than anyone that I know combined to get to where you are. And it's such an inspirational spot that I'm like, oh, I just want people to know, you know, that you're just this like light and you're this beautiful, incredible soul who's done so much work. And the last thing that, you know, we as women should be doing, regardless of how beautiful or your body type or where you live or whatever, should ever be tearing each other down. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to acknowledge the amount of privilege that I have in my body. And I don't think I understood that for a long time. Being born in a white, tall, thin body, there's a lot that comes to you looking like that. But that being said, it doesn't make you immune to the thousands of messages that we receive as women telling us that our bodies, every inch of our bodies, like every inch from the thickness of our hair to our eyebrows, our eyelashes, the hair on our face, you know, my bony clavicle area shouldn't be showing through our stomachs, obviously, and hips are such a point of contention for so many women. Like every single part of our body has been manipulated into something that could be better and has been commercialized. So there's a solution for it that you can pay for to make you better. And I don't think anybody is immune to those messages. As a younger girl as well, I was awkward. I was tall. I was taller than all the boys. My best friend was the most like beautiful girl. All the boys liked her. She got all the parts in the play. She always was front and center in our dance classes. And so I've always felt like the not pretty one. In our group of girlfriends, I 100% consider myself to be the one who is, you know, not quite up to par. I'm like, hang on a sec, right? Like, wow. But that's the truth. I don't think I've actually ever really I've never verbalized that. that, but I 100% do. And this is why I wanted to have this conversation because this is how you see yourself. We've never talked about this and that would just never be my perception. It's really interesting. So interesting. And it's sad. It makes me feel sad. And it also makes me feel that like, this is like messages that society has ingrained in us. I mm-hmm. told you in Mexico, I feel like I'm the, I don't even want to say it, the FAT friend. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I know yeah. in my mind, that's crazy. Yeah. Like that's a crazy thought. But we bring these stories from childhood and from different traumatic experiences that we've had, or not even traumatic, just things that people have said, combined with the constant barrage of messaging that now we just think we're filtering it out. We think it's not impacting us, but there's absolutely no way that it couldn't be. If you were to bring Megan or Penny on here or Christine or Nicole, like the girls that were with me through elementary school and high school and my eating disorder and my early 20s, the amount of insecurity that I had and the way that I saw my body and how desperate I was to change parts of myself, like there was deep insecurity. And I've had to work really hard to not move past that because, you know, things still show up for me. Now it's more around aging that the body image struggle voice has come up on. But in doing all of that work, I do feel more at peace with my body than ever before. The thoughts that come up now are more around you're too thin. People are going to think you have an eating disorder, even though you don't. Ever since having kids, my butt has completely disappeared off the face of the planet. (laughs) So you see people like Kardashians, the trend moving towards like more of a butt right now. And I don't have that. But the difference is, is that when I was younger, I would hook onto that and focus on it. And then I would take actions to try and change it. Whereas now the thought bubbles up and I don't tend to act on it. I see it for what it is. I'm like, oh yeah, that's diet culture. Of course I feel that way. Sometimes I may act on it, I guess, and buying products or 
I haven't had Botox for about a year and a half, but like I've definitely done that in the past. And I'm just gentle with myself and knowing you don't have to have perfect body image, but I don't want to be in a place where it's ruling my life, where my body is holding me back from doing the things that I want to do. And that's why I've done this work. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, since I said that out loud to you about how I felt, it was like my first step to recovery. (laughs) Like I had to tell someone, I had to like say this crazy thought. And I hope that now you telling me what I think is this crazy thought of, you know, I see you and I'm like, oh my God, Erin is my goddess. (laughs) You know, that it's like, sometimes you just almost have to say it out loud to someone and you have to say, I have this thought that I know in my heart is not what I should be thinking, but I need to tell someone. Mm -hmm. And ever since I said it out loud to you, I've really heard your voice so many times that I'm like... This is from childhood. This is my cousins, my sisters, my aunts and uncles making, you know, comments about my body when I was 13 years old, when I was 11, you know, and these are things that I'm holding with me that are not true that I need to shed. And so I would challenge you to the same thing that like, where is that coming from? Is this from, you know, your teenage years? You've said it, you know, and now it's about shedding. Say it and then let it go. I mean, the first step in healing is always bringing awareness around it. Like, I don't even think I was fully aware of feeling that until we started talking about it. A lot of times it's just like an awareness comes up and you're like, oh, that's interesting. And then you're exactly right. Sharing it with somebody, whether that's somebody that you know can meet it with compassion that you trust or a therapist or a coach, or even writing it in your journal can help as well. But we have these thoughts that we label as crazy or wrong. I shouldn't be thinking of this. And we feel shame about them. Big time. When you share a shame thought or idea with somebody, it kills the shame. It literally evaporates. There's not the same tension around the thought. You can see it more clearly. You can work with it. You can learn to cope with it and all of that. But mm-hmm. you're, you're spot on. Like the sharing piece is so important. It's so important. It was like a release for me. This brings me to the next question. One thing that I've told myself every day, and you talk about it a lot on your Instagram, and this is what really like cued me to tell myself this every day, but I'm still kind of like, do I know what it means? Like I do, but like, it's a hard thing is you talk a lot about intuitive eating and Craig and I, my husband and I, we work in food. We love food. Our life revolves around eating and great food and quality and where it comes from. It's a highlight of my day. Mm -hmm. But when you're a mom and you're busy, I've tried all these different things. I've tried intermittent fasting. I've tried different programs. And at the end of the day, there are restrictions and I'm restricting myself. And, you know, this constant reminder that you have about intuitive eating, I was like, I'm going to be five minutes late today because I need an apple with almond butter. Yes. And I'm, you know, for the first time packing snacks for myself and planning my meals, just like I do for my kids or my husband. And I'm thinking about my own body and my own needs. And I don't think I've ever done this. And so I just want to open it up for you to talk about intuitive eating. And if this is something that is new to you, to you as the listener, or it's something you've thought about, or you want to do, like, what are some good tips and tools to help you start eating intuitively and reminding yourself throughout the day of what your body needs and listening to your body. Mm-hmm. Like, is that, you know, reminders of overeating, eating slower, packing snacks, time of day, all of the things? This is such a good question. And I do think we could do several episodes specifically on this topic. And I know I've touched on it before in other episodes, but because there's so much information out there about how we should eat, we need the messaging really consistently and to have those reminders often. So before we dive into any of the tools or specific practices around intuitive eating, we got to talk about what it is and why it's important. Intuitive eating in the way that we know it was sort of outlined by these two registered dietitians and they've been now teaching this for decades. But what I find really interesting about it is that it's a form of eating that we've all done before in our life. Like it's not some new fad that we're trying out or some 
way of eating with a lot of rules and rigidity that doesn't come naturally to us. We were all born intuitive eaters. We intuitively ate for several years of our life before we started to switch things up. So that's the first thing for anyone who's like, I don't know if I can intuitively eat. Well, everybody can intuitively eat. That's the way that your body was designed to eat. It's really about coming back to your body's wisdom and your body's signals around hunger and fullness and starting to learn how to cope with our emotions without always using food, which has become really normalized in today's day and age. So when you think about having to go pee, you may notice I have to go to the bathroom and it's like really subtle. You're like, I can still send a couple emails or like, I'm going to go pick up the kids and whatever. I don't have time for that in the moment. But the longer you wait, the more you're going to feel like you have to go pee until all of a sudden you're bursting at the seams, right? Same with fatigue or the desire to sleep. You may notice you're feeling a little bit tired. And then if you keep pushing it and you don't rest, eventually you're going to get really tired and you start to get cranky and you're not able to think as well and blah, 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 blah. You know the scene. We also have hunger and fullness signals that are built into our body to teach us when we need fuel and when we are full. But the problem is that we have stopped listening to those hunger and fullness signals because somewhere along the lines, we began to be told, and I mean, we actually know when this started to happen, but that's again, another whole podcast episode, <laughs> <laughs> that our bodies are best and we are most valued when our bodies are small. And so in order to do that, we've looked at two main things, changing the way that we eat and changing the way that we exercise in order to tone our bodies, shrink our bodies, change our bodies and morph them into this beauty standard that's being laid out for us. So as we start doing that, we stop listening to the body's cues and we're like, oh, I'm hungry. Okay. I'll chew some gum. I'll drink a coffee. I'll have water. I'm going to follow this dietitian's rules. I'm going to follow that influencer's rules. I'm going to read this blog post and I'll do this. Okay. I'm going to actually set some rules around this because my hunger feels scary to me. So I'm not going to eat until 11 AM and then I have to stop eating at 6 PM. A lot of women who are intermittent fasting are doing it for weight, not necessarily because of the energy. And we could have a conversation about that as well. There are some benefits to intermittent fasting. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody who has a complicated relationship with food in their body. So we put all these rules in place. We start outsourcing when our body should eat and stop eating rather than listening to our internal cues. Now, over time, when we have been ignoring these cues, pushing them down, shoving them down, not listening to them, the body stops speaking to us. It's like, you know, in your marriage, if you were to just ignore Craig all the time and he was talking to you and you were like, no, 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 he would stop talking to you. So in intuitive eating, the first thing we have to do is rebuild trust back with the body. And so one of the tools that we use for that is to fuel the body consistently and to balance out our blood sugar levels. When the body starts to trust that it is going to receive food every couple of hours, that food will not be restricted, that it will be there for you, those signals start to come back into play. And then with practice, we can start to identify, we use something called a hunger and a fullness scale Like when I'm coaching clients. So on your hunger scale, you're starting to identify when you're like a two out of 10 on the hunger scale, so not that hungry, versus a five out of 10 on the hunger scale. That's when we actually want to start eating versus a 10 out of 10 on the hunger scale, which is when we're hangry, we're starting to get really grumpy, you're foggy thinking, all of those symptoms that are really loud loudly letting you know that you're hungry. And so we start to tune into the body and really listen to the body and work with it. So when the body's hungry, we give it food and we give ourselves permission to eat. And then the part that's a little bit more challenging because the cues are more subtle is identifying our fullness. When do we hit that point when we're about 80% full? And so again, we're starting to look at those fullness signals. The interesting thing about fullness is that there's a difference between being full and being satisfied that I think a lot of people aren't really aware of. So fullness is the feeling when your stomach has stretched to a certain point. Like you could eat two heads of iceberg lettuce and be full, but you wouldn't be satisfied. Mm -hmm. In fact, that makes me feel like I want to gag thinking I know, about like, it. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> don't make us do that. 
<laughs> and we've all done that before. Like we've all had the healthy meal and you finish and you're like, God, I just need a piece of chocolate, totally. right? You're like, well, there's that, that. Yeah. That just didn't hit the spot. <laughs> totally. But maybe you were eating it because you thought it was healthy. Maybe you, you went into a restaurant and you're like, I really want something that's got some like salty crunch, but I should have a salad. And you had the salad and then you're not satisfied. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. Satisfaction is a combination of being full, your stomach stretching, and also connecting with your desires and cravings. So it would look like looking at a menu or thinking about what you're going to have for dinner and being like, okay, it's winter. I want something that's going to be warm and cozy, but I want to feel energized after. So I'm going to add in a nice green salad. And then I want a piece of sourdough with some butter on there to like add some satiating fats to the Mm -hmm. story. And so when you eat that kind of meal, when you finish it, you feel a lot more satisfied. You know, you might have like a pack of Halloween Smarties or something like that as well at the end. And that's cool too. And then when you're satisfied, the cool thing that happens is the mind is free to stop thinking about food. You've satisfied. It's like when you have to go pee and then you go pee, you then move on with your life. You're not thinking about, did I do too much pee? Should I have done a shorter pee? Oh my God. That's such a good comparison. This is why I needed to ask you about intuitive eating. (laughs) I'm going to think about this every day. You don't analyze your pee. You're not like, oh my God, that was too much peeing this morning. I should stop (laughs) peeing until eight o'clock tonight. I mean, maybe you would analyze your pee if you've just had kids and you're peeing all the time or you're pregnant. (laughs) Of course. We have, we, we do, we literally analyze everything as human beings. That's really the only time, like it might come up. Right. But But we also don't like get together. We don't get together with our girlfriends and say like, oh my God, I was so good today. I only did two peas. We don't, we, whereas with food and our bodies, we attach these labels to it, right? We're like, How many I'm calories so am good. I I've been having this, or I was so bad. I had five brownies that night or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all of this is layered and it really requires deconstructing so many of the messages that we've received. So with intuitive eating, we're coming back to the innate signals that we have within our body that are designed to keep our bodies healthy and energized and fueled. And we really start to reconnect with the body again. And then we also have to start practicing differentiating between what is physical hunger and what is emotional hunger. So physical hunger, if I was to ask you, how do you know that you're hungry? What would you tell me if I've never felt hunger before? How would you describe that? I mean, maybe to describe it, you may actually describe your hangry state where you're like kind of shaky, yeah. you're a little volatile, you are feeling it slightly out of control, Yeah, you can feel like the blood sugar in your body like all over the map. I think that's probably how I would describe it, even though, like you said, that's your 10. That's your 10. That's But that's great. So you're aware of your 10. What does a three or a four feel like? For me, I can almost feel like I can feel it in like the bottom of my throat. Like, great. Yeah. Like it's like a little fuzzy. Your voice kind of gets a little raspy. You feel like you could be on the path to slight irritation. Yes. Oh yeah. That is for sure. One of the first signs that people notice. You just buckled up. Yeah. I'm not there yet. Fasten your seatbelt. I feel like if my kid's a little loud or if my husband does, like (laughs) I could get a little irritated. That laugh you just did. I'm on the bus. (laughs) I am stepping on the bus. Right. So some other signs of true physical hunger, or you might start to notice that you feel a little bit tired. You start thinking about food more. And I know at the beginning, if you're repairing a relationship with food, you're probably like, I always think about food, but you may start thinking about food. Your hands may get a little bit cold. Your feet may get a little bit cold. You notice an emptiness in your stomach, grumbling in your stomach, more saliva in your mouth, a bit of a faint headache. I'm like, am I hungry right now? (laughs) (laughs) Do you have oranges here? I do. I have all the things. I literally am like, my feet are cold right now. My hands are cold. Now I've got more saliva in my mouth. Yes. I think I need an orange. Yes. Yes. You're probably at like a two or three but out of ten. This is so good. Why does no one tell you this? Why are we learning about friggin' trigonometry? I know. 
And I not about life things, about how to feel your body. How do I know when I'm hungry? How, how do, do I know accounting when I'm full? for your personal finances? <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> like <laughs> this to me is like every parent caregiver should know this. Right. To then pass on to our kids. Like yeah. look for these signs. Yeah. Yeah. And we see it in our kids. We know when our kid is a three out of 10 versus a 10 out of 10. And in fact, as parents, we actually think a little bit ahead. So we'll be like, okay, well, we're going to that activity. I should prepare a snack because chances are that you're going to start to get hungry then. But we don't do the same thing for ourselves. We wait until we're at a 10 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10. At that point, our blood sugar levels are so low that our body has gone into a survival state. And the survival state of the body that's just trying to do its best to keep us alive and afloat and thriving is I need fuel. The blood sugar levels have to go up. What is the quickest source of fuel? A refined carbohydrate. So we're going for crackers, chips. We want like the salty fries. We're in the McDonald's drive-thru. We're snacking as we make dinner because the body's job to keep us to survive has clicked into another gear where now it's all about getting that food into our system. So none of those foods that I just mentioned are bad or wrong, but if we're always waiting till we're a 10 out of 10 on the hunger scale, then we're always grabbing those foods and we're not able to make more conscious choices. We're not able to pause and be like, what do I actually need or feel like right now for fuel? It may just not be the happiest fuel for your body. Yes. While you may feel very happy eating McChicken for a second, you know, (laughs) as I like, I have all of these foods. I love those, but... But once it hits your stomach and becomes an acid and maybe you need, you know, something else, right? And I promise as you do this, the coolest part is when people start to say, it's so weird. I actually was craving vegetables or I craved fruit because your body does want those things. But when we restrict so much, first of all, the blood sugar levels drop. We're always operating at about a 10 on a 10. And if you think about a pendulum, the more that you restrict or the longer amount of space that you have between meals, the pendulum kind of goes up on one side. It's like you're pulling it higher and higher and higher. And the more likely it is that it's going to, well, it will swing in the other direction, which is when we have that feeling of not being in control around food, binge eating, you can't stop thinking about it. There's a lot of willpower needed. It's you no feel longer like natural. A out of control and brain fog sets in. Yeah. So the pendulum swings and you go in the other direction completely. And sometimes that pendulum when we're restricting or pulling it back, like people can do that for months. They can be on that diet and be really focused and really motivated for months. But think about any time you've done that in the past. The result at the end is usually that the pendulum flies in the other direction. Well, I feel like that's what happened to me with intermittent fasting is again, like I feel like every body is different and it could absolutely work for some people. And it did work for me for a while. And then I feel like I just, I almost like abused it. Like I did it for too long. I took it too seriously and my pendulum fully swung in the other direction. I feel like my system crashed. Right. I put on weight. I didn't feel great about my body. I was having these massive swinging shifts of high and low blood sugars. I didn't feel like myself. I was, you know, not as calm with my kids as I want to be. I felt like I wasn't in a neutral place a lot of the time because I feel like my body was starving. It was saying like, I need food. I can't be doing this anymore. Yeah. And so now, you know, truly from a lot of like just your Instagram posts and being such good friends with you, I was like, this isn't for me. Done a full system reset and the power of packing snacks for yourself during the day. It's like so pivotal. It creates (laughs) so much happiness. It truly does. Like when I'm having like, I'll do nuts, fruit and veggies. Also like why are fruits just for your kids? Right? Like absolutely not. I'm buying berries all the time. And for years, like in my mind, subconsciously, I'm like, these are for my kids. Why am I not eating the raspberries? There's so many things that we do that we just exist in these patterns and ways yeah. of thinking that when you step back and look at it, you're exactly, you're and like, I'm, why? Now I'm like, I'm eating the raspberries. Why? <laughs> and I love as well, if I'm packing a snack for myself to add in some, what I call fun foods. So with kids, we have a lot of fun foods and even little like fruit gummy pack or something like that as well, because I do feel satisfied and I'm way less likely to reach the end of the day 
which I used to do, reach the end of the day and then want like ice cream and gummies and all of the things that I hadn't had. But if I'm sprinkling them throughout the day, then there's just not the same magnetic pull to them. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of being there, done that. Yeah. And I feel like Craig and I, like I mentioned, we're in food. We eat out a lot and it's kind of our thing that we do together. And you guys know this. We love exploring new restaurants. And so I feel like for me, if I really take care of my body now throughout the day, and this is a new thing for me, so I am not an expert, Mm -hmm. but it feels really good. Yeah. This is a new place for me. I'm loving it. But so if I really take care of my body during the day and I fuel it and I eat, you know, whole foods that just make me feel my best self, when we get to dinner at night, like we've got a dinner tonight at Publish that just got a Michelin star. We're so excited. We love it. It's one of our favorite spots. I can go and just enjoy. Yeah. And I'm not like, oh... Oh, I can't get that. Oh, I wanted, I can just enjoy and like let my hair down and not feel bad about anything that I'm, I'm just enjoying the experience because food is an experience. Yeah. And I tell my kids this, that I'm like, food is an experience. It's got to be the best part of your day. You should be thinking about your next meal because it should be exciting. I Mm -hmm. want you to be excited about your food. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm like, well, we should feel like that too. Oh, totally. How can I teach my kids this if I wasn't feeling that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think as well, people are going to have different things that they are passionate about. Like you love food. You love the experience around it. When you're going into a restaurant, you're like this in every area of your life. You're a full (laughs) sensory being. You're noticing the texture on the wall. You're hearing what's playing on the soundtrack. You are noticing like the nature of the waitress and all of the things. Like you are taking it all in, in addition to the food. And then I think that there's other people, like I would fall more into this category where food at this point is a bit more of an afterthought. It's not that I don't enjoy it or have like great nights out that are at a restaurant and things like that. But where my brain tends to go is this work that I'm doing versus the next meal or the food piece. And I think people are just built differently. There's no right or wrong way to do it. I do think though that we've lost a lot of the joy around food because we again, are just things are getting faster and faster. You can order DoorDash, come to your home. We sit and eat in front of the TV. I a mean, we don't. A lot of restrictive diets. So many restrictive diets. Like the joy has been sort of sucked out of food yeah. and the presence with it as well. And while I a thousand percent understand gluten sensitivities or people's, you know, dietary choices of not eating meat or being, you know, vegan or vegetarian and respect all of the above, there was this video that one of our friends sent us of the French guy and he's out for a date and it's this TikTok thing. You'll have to like put I don't a think link I to it or it. something. Okay. And, and I will he, put a link to it. Though. This guy goes out on a date. He's from Paris and he's, I don't know, in LA or something. And in his French voice, you know, he's like, you don't eat croissants. <laughs> croissants are life. Baguettes are life. Red wine is life. Yes. You yes. know, and like Craig and I really feel that. I don't have celiac, so I can comfortably say that. Yeah. It's different if you have like a true allergy. Yes. At this point, it's really hard to know whether people have allergies or if they've just got food fear. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel like, you know, a lot of times when we go to a restaurant, you know, if we know the chef, we're like, make us whatever, bring it out, surprise us. Like, we don't want to look at the menu, whatever you feel like making, Mm -hmm. bring it out. We just love like anything that you put out on the table. And sometimes I would encourage people, you know, to have this mentality that like, actually one of the Kardashians, she said it, she's like, I think it was Kourtney Kardashian. She's like, when I go on vacation, my habits and how I eat and my usual rituals, I set them aside. Mm-hmm. I'm not on a crazy vitamin train. I'm not on a crazy eating program. I just live my life. Yes. And so I feel like it would be a good challenge for some people sometimes yeah. to be like, although you have this very strict kind of way of living, sometimes it's good to just throw it out the window. Absolutely. And enjoy. <laughs> have the damn Live chicken. your life, girl. Live, Live your life, girl. Your life. <laughs> Live your life. Have the croissant. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I think that's so important. So important. Well said. Well said. Okay. Well, that was fun for me. I hope it was fun for you as well to hear our conversation. And even though in this episode, we only got through about two of Jill's questions, <laughs> We are going to continue breaking this conversation down into further episodes that will be released so that you can hear us also talk about 
everything from motherhood, mom guilt, body image. I mean, we cover a lot of things. And in next week's episode, Jill opens up about losing her dad and her experience with grief. From today's episode, I hope I've pulled back the curtain a little bit on the fact that I certainly don't do it all by myself, and I know that nobody can do it all by themselves. Uh, Jill asked some, you know, really head-on questions about childcare and having a nanny and what that looks like in our family. We feel so lucky and privileged, to be honest, to be able to have someone like Michelle working with us. And I know that not everyone is as fortunate to be in a place where they can do that. But I would encourage you to consider if there's any areas in your life where perhaps you could ask for a little bit more support or help from a neighbor, from a friend. Maybe think about what your relationship is like to asking for help. Is it something that you're comfortable doing or not comfortable doing? And what would it look like to reach out and to ask for that in some moments? I also think we just have to let ourselves off the hook and remember that life isn't supposed to be perfect. Like your home is going to be lived in and we're not always going to have this Pinterest worthy outfit on and our skin isn't going to look perfect and our body isn't perfect. There's just no such thing. So we've kind of got to just take the weight off, the pressure off and keep surrounding ourselves with voices and conversations that remind us of the fact that perfection is a complete illusion. Nobody has it. Nobody's life is perfect. And your imperfect life is exactly the way that it should be. Jill and I also dove into intuitive eating and talked a little bit about some of the ins and outs of intuitive eating. We didn't get to go super deep into some of the emotional supportive tools that you can use while practicing intuitive eating. If you think that intuitive eating is something that would benefit you or you're interested in learning more about it... You can click the link down below and book a 20-minute breakthrough call with me. It's a complimentary call where we can talk about what coaching would look like, if it's right for you, and we can also talk about the Raw Beauty Reset program and if that would be a good fit as well. So if you're thinking, you know, I want to change my relationship with food and my body, I want to learn a new way, I'm done with feeling so exhausted around this topic, then click that link, book a call with me, and let's carry on this conversation. All right. Thank you once again for joining Jill and I for this conversation. Let me know either in a DM on Instagram at Raw Beauty Talks or over on social media tagging us. What is the takeaway from this episode? What is it that you will carry with you, your aha moment? Enjoy your week, and I will see you next week for part two of this conversation. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks, and remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week.